I started from nothing Never knew where my next meal was coming But I transform my life I stay one step ahead Mindset of disruption I own the edge This is a drill cast Where I bring the wisdom you need Everyone is selling knowledge I get mine away for free I'm as real as it gets You either love or hate me Best believe I'm Major League Bill Hines That's me This is the drill cast Hello, everyone. Uh, on this episode of Thrillcast, uh, unfortunately, uh, our co-host Meg couldn't make it. Uh, she had some uh, professional duties back in New York City, but we have a very special guest on. Is Paul the Dude Morris, all the way from Down Under, Australia, and uh, Paul is the t- 2017 Stadium Super Truck Champion. He's also the only person to have won all three major racing events at Mount Panorama, Bathurst 1000, the Bathurst 6-hour, and the Bathurst 12-hour. Um, championship titles, like I said, he did stadium super trucks uh, in 2017. In 1995, he was the Australian super touring, right? And uh, 1970, Trans Am Series, uh, 1998, Australian super touring, and 2000-2001, Queensland Gemini Series, I mean, the list can. I, I, if I keep reading the list of how many championships and races this guy's won, we'd be here all night and we wouldn't even get to talk to him. But, um, Paul, good to have you on all the way from, uh, the Gold Coast, the sunny Gold Coast of, uh, Australia. It's good to be here, Bill. Um, big fan of the Thrill Cast, mate. So I'm, uh, pretty excited to be on it and pretty excited to be talking to you, buddy. Yeah, it's a, probably a little downgrade from uh, when you were on uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s uh, podcast. That was that's a pretty popular <laughs> podcast. So uh, maybe one day we get to have one percent of his uh, followers. So that'll be good. He does have a big following, and uh, I think my Instagram followers went up by the tens of thousands overnight when I was on that. But yeah, me and Dale are, are pretty good mates, and the thing I like about Dale's. Um, his podcast, his Dale Jr. download, he's a really good storyteller and he gets stories out of his guests that no one's heard of before and I, I really enjoy his style of interviewing. So, if yeah, if you, no one's listened to that, even if you're not a motor racing, car racing person, there's definitely some pretty good entertainment there. Yeah, and people that who don't know who Dale Jr. is, is uh, he's the son of Dale Earnhardt senior who uh, you know tragically died at the daytona 500 i believe it was back in 2001 right somewhere yep. around then yeah and uh paul morris uh tell us how you met dale uh you were uh, racing in the united states and you uh, uh he was in australia so oh, he, he came australia. chevrolet sent him out to australia to one of our touring car races so he arrived with a bunch of his friends and he just turned up at the track and uh met a couple of his buddies first who were just checking out our cars and then um he was here for a couple of weeks so we just all hung out together and become close friends and then uh yeah and then he invited me to come to america and hang out with him and we just did some uh pretty similar values and pretty similar um lifestyles obviously his is a bit more more intense than mine but um a little bit yeah we right? just become, become good friends yeah, that was that was an excellent. I I really thoroughly enjoyed 
uh, listening to that podcast a lot. And, it, you know, obviously, you know, getting new into the podcast game. I mean, this I think will be our, uh, you know, I don't know, we're around 12, 13, 14 episodes in. And, uh, you know, we're learning stuff every day. And, uh, man, you and him probably could talk for hours and hours and hours. And the stories kept coming and coming. So, yeah, learning that craft is is really good. But, you know, the the thing is, being a professional race car driver like you and Dale Earnhardt, you guys got to be able to carry on that conversation because you have sponsor commitments. And, you know, it showed in that podcast. Yeah, I think, Bill, um, that helps when you get a bit older and you've actually got something cool to talk about. So uh, I work with a lot of younger drivers as well, and it's important to be yourself. Um, but people really don't take you seriously no matter what you got to say and, and unless you got the trophies is what I've noticed. So like the biggest trophy in our motor racing world in Australia is the Bathurst 1000. And once you win that race, um, it's a life-changing experience. Like you, people just treat you differently. So um, I think, you know, in motor racing, um, perception is, is reality and people who win those big events just seem to be accepted different to everyone else. But, of course, they're not. Everyone's always got a good story to tell, but people only like to listen to the to the guys with trophies. Yeah, I agree with you. So in uh, the United States equivalent to the Bathurst, uh, you know, 1,000 trophy that uh, Paul is alluding to, is they call it the King of the Mountain, and it's the Peter Brock trophy. And you would say the Indy 500 trophy, similar so the Borg Warner Trophy, and then I don't know what the Daytona 500 Trophy is called, but those those three races are probably, and like say Monaco for F1, so those four races are probably, I would say, like the holy grail of racing. And if you could win one of those, along with the Daytona 24-hour, um, but that's more of a, you know, a bigger, bigger team effort, you know, to, to race for 24 hours, but uh yeah, so Paul Morris, he's he's won the Bathurst 1000. So Paul, what happened? So when you the, like the day before you won, you know you weren't a nobody, but how did it change? Like because you had all those championships and Super Touring and all that, and uh, you know what did you notice the very next day after you won? Uh, the biggest thing I noticed was how people treated you differently. The average person on the street wanted to know you, wanted to get a picture uh, because this race is is 12 hours of television from 6 o'clock in the morning to 6 o'clock at night on on national free-to-air. It's, it's a big event. So the biggest thing I noticed was people outside of the industry treated you different. Well, so, I noticed that from walking around the Gold Coast with you or even like in Adelaide or in Perth, we'd walk around and people would just scream, the dude. Like, and, and it was like, do you know them? You're like, no, I don't know that guy. You know, he's a punter or something like that. And, uh, just, just seeing that it, it was, it was surreal to see just because, you know, and, and even like when, when your son would see that and it's like, wow, he's looking up at you. And again, I know Nash from when he was little, not as big as he is now. And, you know, he's like, yeah, that's my dad, you know, and he's proud of him. So that was, that was just cool to see. I yeah, it, it was, mate. It's definitely definitely um a big part of our sporting culture here in australia and as you say it's like the indy 500 like the dotona 500 it's that sort of event 
And it um, seems like in Australia, obviously Australia has what twenty two million people or something like that. Yeah, mate. I think I think there's more people living on Manhattan Island that live in Australia. <laughs> yeah, but it seems like almost everybody in Australia is you know some form of racing, whether it be you know, like say motorbikes or, you know, it, it, they love their motorsports and they're very knowledgeable fans. They're very passionate. And honestly, anytime I've been there, they're some of the most, the nicest people in the world. Like they really embrace you. And I mean, the culture, the food, the, just the people. And it, it's, I, I'm actually jealous that I don't live down there with you. <laughs> yeah. I think like, if you look at Australia, Bill, uh, the landmass, the actual size, physical size of our country is parallel. It's equivalent to the United States. So a big country, but only 20 million people in it. Everything's very spread out. So to get anywhere or to do anything, you need a car. Yeah. We have a massive car culture because it's not uncommon, uncommon for someone that lives outside the city to drive for an hour and a half to go and do their shopping. So cars are a big part of our culture here. Um, and motorsport is a big part of our culture because you you just can't operate in Australia without a car. It just you just can't. You can't do it. And in yeah. Australia, the two big car manufacturers are Ford and Holden, which is now part of Chevy. But Holden was an Australia manufactured car and then was bought out by GM, right? Yeah. So all, that was always GM owned. It's just Holden oh, okay. brand and Ford. We actually had Chrysler manufacturing in Australia as well, uh, Toyota, but you know, that that's all gone now. Like all car manufacturing ceased in Australia, all imported cars. But um, you that's still it. need a car to get to get around. But you you would have a tribal, very much like you have in the US. You'd have GM versus Ford. You grew up either uh, being a Ford guy or a, or a GM guy, which we called Holden, and yeah. that's. That's what made the sport popular. Nice, nice, nice. Yes. So uh, so what's going on down in Norwell? So in a previous episode, uh, we had Zoe, uh, you know, yep. and, and you know of her. And uh, she, she made a comment because I've always told her, you got to get down to Norwell. So when things open up, you know, she definitely wants to come down to train to Norwell because now you guys got the Aussie tin tops rolling out and you do that with Nathan Kayser. And, uh, you know, that is giving so many younger drivers an opportunity, you know, to, to learn racecraft and get that seat time. So, uh, and I said, you know, in, in the previous episode, you heard it. I said, you know, they're getting results. So they have the special sauce. Something's happening down at Norwell. I don't know <laughs> if it's the water, the sugar cane down the road. I don't know what you guys are doing, but you guys are getting really good results. Yeah. So I think there's a couple of keys to that, Bill. Firstly, as you know, you got to have a passion for what you do, okay? And since I, I've always had a passion of teaching people how to drive, but since I stopped worrying about my own racing so much, my my passion is to is to make better race car drivers. Um, the second part of that is you need to have a facility, and we're very fortunate here that we have our own circuit. So, and the only practice for driving is driving. So you, you get those key combinations going. Um, and we've had some great results. Like the, the best drivers that have, that have in this country now have come out of our academy here uh, at, at a professional level. And the other thing that's really enjoyable 
is we're having great success now with the amateur driver as well. The, the guy that's, you know, is a, is a club-level participant. You know, we've we taken those guys from mid-pack to, to winning races at, at, a, at an amateur level, which is very rewarding as well. Um, you know, you've, you've been through the training that we do here. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty hands-on, uh, but it, it gets results for sure. Yeah, I've even uh, tested. Uh, was the initial inaugural tester of your tire wall? <laughs> yeah, that's that a funny story. Remember that? <laughs> yeah, we had you, two. Um, you want to tell that story? I do because yeah. we had two old E thirty six BMWs here, um, and we use them for a bit of combat training. You know, like uh, teach someone how to move someone out of the way, or do the bump and run, or you know, door slam someone. Sometimes you got to get the gloves off and. And just retaliate on the racetrack. So Rub, Rubin's racing. You do. But one of those cars had ABS and one car didn't. And we swapped cars. And I said, hey, Bill, just remember that car hasn't got ABS. And you fired down into the braking area, locked it up, and come around the corner. And there you were hanging out of the tire. <laughs> I, I sent it. Yeah. But that yeah. tire worked pretty well, didn't it? It worked, yeah, I didn't go over the hill, and then I remember walking, and you're on a four, what is it, an ATV. You come up, and you're like, "Why are you walking?" I'm like, oh, "Are you coming to help me?" He goes, "Well, help you with what?" I'm like, "Oh, I shoved it in the tire wall." And the first thing you're like, "You're like, that's great." <laughs> you're like, "That's awesome," and then uh, I had to apologize to your son because that was actually his car. And he goes, "That's okay, Uncle Bill. That's fine. That's okay. Yeah, still making new ones. There was not much damage." And actually, your your son is actually so Nash Morris is his son, and you know, heck, what? Not even two years ago. I mean, the guy did like i racing and video games, but I don't think he had any inclination and wanted to be a racer. And then one day, he just woke up and says, "This is what I'm going to do." And literally, you know, he he works at Norwell. He's really invested the time. He's a hard worker. He's a good kid, and he's getting that track time. And, you know, and it's actually funny. His dad's a legend, the motorsport legend, but he doesn't even really go to his dad. He goes to other race car drivers as well to, and Robbo, the whisperer and, and all your guys that you have down there in, in Norwell and gets training from everybody. He's, he's just sucking that up. And here we are, you know, he, he's, he's a race winner now. He's got a few podiums and a race winner. I mean, talk about that. Like how proud are you to see your son to just go from like, sitting on the couch two years ago, you know, not that that was anything wrong with that, but you know, Hey, let's like, he had zero desire to follow in his dad's footsteps. And and now, I mean, honestly, in a few years, I'm going to be reading off a list and it's going to be more impressive than yours. Probably. Who knows? But I think, I think the first thing you got to do when you've got a son or a daughter in racing is make sure they want to do it more than you do. So, You've seen firsthand, Bill, what yeah. I call the BMX dad mentality, how emotional parents can get and how slanted their view can be of their own kids' ability. The soccer mom and soccer dads, the baseball. Yeah. So my, yeah. my thing with Nash was, like, if, if he wants to go racing, I'm going to make it pretty hard for him to, you know, I'm, I'm not going to really help him do it. He's going to have to work out how to sort it out himself. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So the first time he came and said, I want to go racing, I found him the oldest, worst car I could find, and it was in bits. And I said, You got a day to get it ready and get it to the track. Yeah. Which he did. He took it to the track. He raced it. He spent more time working on it than he did driving it. And then we did that for a few races. And then I thought, Okay, well, he's hanging in there. 
Yeah. You must really want to do this. And then I was deliberately stayed out of it. I, I'm lucky because I got um, some other, really good other people guys that I train, like Anton Di Pasquale yeah. and Brody Kostecki, guys that I coach that are only a few years older than Nash that he can go to for advice without me getting involved. And I, I think that's the key to it is to try and remove yourself from that emotional attachment. So no matter how hard you try not to be, have a bias, it's pretty hard not to. And, you know, I've, I've seen your your soccer clips, mate. They're amazing. Your daughter does an amazing job on the soccer field but and you should be super proud of you, but proud of her, which is great. But it's, it's hard to not notice all the other kids on the field, isn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah, I notice all the other kids on the field, and and I take clips of them. But I'm not the soccer dad that's <laughs> commenting. And actually, when I was younger, I was really good at soccer. So, like when I'm home, yeah. you know, obviously, you know, at my house, you know, um, or they they're you know, there's a little practice area and stuff like that. So when I go and visit, you know, um, you know, I, I teach her some things. But again, nobody wants to learn from their dad, so they're going to go to the coach. But yep. uh, but yeah, I'm not. Like I remember one time she she had an incident with the coach and and uh my ex wife was like, oh, I think you should go talk to the coach and I went up to the coach and I said, Just keep doing what you're doing. I said, Run him even <laughs> harder it. And he's like, Wow, parents aren't like that. I'm like, No, it's you know, at the end of the day, because soccer players, I said, it's a ninety minute game, you know? You need to you need to have the conditioning to run 120 minutes. So I said, so that's why saving and in, in bringing it back to racing now, same thing. It's like yeah, in SST and even some of the endurance races, we've seen those fathers, and some of them will be listening to this because they do, they pay attention, and you know who you are, <laughs> you know, and and we're not going to name anyone calling you out, but uh, but they know who they are. And with Nash though, the beauty is is that everyone he's getting advice from are drivers that you have personally trained. So he's getting the dude download without even knowing it. And the funny thing is, is I saw the car that you bought him for his first race. It was an absolute shit box. I was like, well, oh I didn't even buy it. I borrowed it. I borrowed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and that was the other funny thing. So he's he was hanging in mid-pack in a shit box. I'm like, wow, what if he had good equipment? And uh, it was funny. I remember when he really wanted to do it, you know, he's like, okay, I need a serious race. I got to raise money. He didn't go to his dad for sponsorship. He was asking Phil. He came up to me. He's like, hey, Mr. Bill, you know, you like to, I'm like, but all of us noticed nobody funded him fully. Everyone's like, yeah, I'll give you 500 bucks or that. Like everyone, like we made him go to like a whole bunch of different people to, to, to figure out his sponsorship and, and, you know, proud of that young man. I'm, I'm sure your dad's proud of him too. I think it's important to to know, to, to get anywhere in motorsport, you need really good relationships. I think it's, and that's that's one of the things we always talk about, don't we? We can go anywhere in the world. Um, and even if we're doing something outside motorsport, there'll be a connection there that'll that'll help us get a deal done or do something. It's, it's just a great sport for having that, having that, um, relationship building and, and networking you know and that, and it, that's, what you teach. that's what you need to teach the young people you know yeah I, I agree but you know what that gets lost on a lot of people they think it's about spending a lot of money to put a sticker on a car 
but that's to me an ignorant statement. And uh, they, they, if they understood, you know, why the Verizons, the AT and T's, the Boost Mobiles, the, the, you know, the Ferrari, the Mercedes, you know, all of the, I mean, all of these Fortune 100 and 500 companies are involved in motorsport racing because of that B two B, and you know, yeah. the business to business and the relationships, and uh, you know. There's such an opportunity there, and especially in this, you know, world now that is really data-driven, that is really content-driven, that is really, you know, analytical. Like, look at racing on any given day. If they go to an F1, uh, you know, uh, pit box or an IndyCar pit box, NASCAR pit box, the amount of data they're collecting and data transference, that's it makes sense why AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile – you know, are all looking at those analytics because it's just not about racing. That that translates into other sectors where there could be healthcare and media, content creation, as you know, and having that connectivity is really good uh, for doing business. Yeah, and even on a simple level, like, like if my toilet's blocked and I need to call a plumber, I'm calling the plumber that's involved in racing. That's true too, and I, and I know one because he's he'll, you know if I need an electrician or I need my house built or anything I do, um, I use the motorsport network and and we we all do so it's it's pretty cool. Yeah, great, and and uh, I know uh, you know anytime I go to Australia, you know you guys got a whole network of people and. You know, heck, I mean, down in Australia, finding sponsors is is not that hard to do because people are kind of crazy uh, for the uh, to just have that access to to be around everybody and you know to to see the race and you know really I think for the drivers the race is the most important thing but for everyone else it's the experience of just you know being at an event and 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 the camaraderie and the communication and. And just a fellowship with your fellow human, really. Yeah, it's a good good point, Bill. That's, that's good. That's, I think that's why we do it. As we, when you're younger, you do you do it for the thrill of the race, and as you get a bit older, you, you know, the only place I feel really normal is when I'm at a racetrack. I agree. And, and most of the most of the good things that have happened to me in my life have happened at a at an event or a racetrack or at a dinner somewhere. You know, it's some of the most awesome things in my life have even happened with you that are, that are the weirdest things I've ever – you'd think in a thousand years, how could that all ever line up and happen? And you'd wake up some mornings and just think, did all that actually happen to me? Well, what, what like besides the time the four, we had the 42-inch tomahawks, which were like <laughs> – <what, laughs> the thing was bigger than our face, uh, what, what are some of those things you're talking about? I think the best one was um, – I was with Kenny Abul. Oh, yeah, Long Beach, Bull, we're in yeah. the same restaurant, and you were having dinner with the guys from the band. Oh, yeah, right. And he's like, I know those guys over there. Who are they? I said, oh, yeah, that's the band live, mate. They're with Bill. He goes, really? i got to meet them. <laughs> so that's we roll right. over, he introduces himself, and next minute they've borrowed his plane. <laughs> Go on tour. Well, he, they didn't borrow he it. He gave it to them. Yeah. They were like, they were like, like yeah, well. Yeah, he's. They were talking. He's like, yeah, like I know Chad was talking about. He's like, one day we got to be here, and we have a festival in Oklahoma, and, and then we got to go here. And then he goes, oh, that's easy. Just use my plane. And they're like, we can't use your plane. He goes, sure, just use my plane. And he did. 
So Kenny Habul's a, a a fellow race car driver and and a businessman as well. Um, and uh, yeah, what a great guy. And then, but through that, you know, they made Lee Diffie, and uh, who yeah. else was part of that? Now Ed and Lee Diffie are like buddies. I mean, in Connecticut, well, I lived together. in the same town and didn't know it. Yeah, and that well, now they go to dinner and everything with Kenny yeah. and. They just they raise hell together. It's kind of funny. So yeah, so that's uh, Ed is Ed Kowalczyk from the band Live. So him and uh, Lee Diffie of uh, what is it NBC Sports and NBC. Yeah, one NBC of the, Sports. Probably which is one an Australian of the, guy. Yeah, who I grew up with basically. Did you really? Yeah, yeah. I got him his first job in 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 motorsport commentary because he was working as a high school physical education teacher. No way. In Brisbane. And then um, wow. he'd done some amateur motocross commentary and stuff and pretty good. And then at the last minute, they needed a guy. And I said, oh, I reckon I can get a guy. And then he did such a good job. He, he never went back to the school. He's one of the best, like, sports broadcasters, not just for motor racing because he's done other events, you know. Oh, he's done the Winter Olympics. The Olympics. And and I think, I yeah. think horse racing, a lot of different stuff. He's one of the best there is, period. And, uh, you know, I don't say that lightly. I mean, he's really good. I mean, and, uh, you know, America has embraced him. And, uh, yeah, I love when he, he, he has an event. You know, I watch it even just for him because of that, base, you know, basically what he says and the color he brings to it. He's got – and actually on NBC, speaking of that, other friends of yours, like so – uh, Paul Tracy does good and Townsend Bell, like that whole NBC sports team is, they got a really good commentating crew and even sometimes James Hinchcliffe. So look at all these race car drivers that can then, because of, you know, how they are racing and dealing with, you know, the public that they can just jump in and transition into being, you know, a broadcaster and speaking intelligently on the air about the craft. It's, it's freaking awesome. Yeah, look, I come across it all the time, even when I'm not working in racing and you're doing something else. You just operate at a level, you're used to operating at a level where you just have to get things done and, and ask questions later. So, yeah. you know, other parts of my business world, you'll be dealing with people and you churn out twice as much work as they do and they can't keep up. Yeah. And when you see a problem, you just find a solution to the problem. You don't you don't back out, and that's what motor racing gives you. You know, you, you to be successful, you've you've got to be very determined and and just keep pushing forward and and find ways to make things happen. And I think that's why people, when they finish competing, can just adapt to any other industry pretty easily because you're working at such a higher rate than everyone else. Even if you're not as smart as them, you put you can put the work in. Well, and that's true, because and and the pressure with racing is, you know, and you know, if you're an accountant, you know, or an attorney, or you know, like a, a COO of a company, you know, there there's uh, different stresses that you have. But you know, if if you you cut your finger on a, on a paper cut, that's one stress. But when you're going, you know, 200 miles an hour down or straightaway, and you make a mistake, that could be the end of your life. So you're you're at a different level of stress you you can take things differently and handle them differently so you're going to be cut out uh for challenges more so than people in those professions not that there's anything wrong with those professions i'm sure those people are lovely people who do those jobs 
but it, it's 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 like I say when you're in the, even in the military and you're jumping out of a helicopter, you know, taking gunfire. That's a little bit of different stress than say, you know, the guy you know who is your plumber. Um, but yeah. so with that though, it's it's kind of funny though. The question I'm bringing is that it's it. So obviously, I got friends who are in business partners that are in a rock band. And, you know, I have friends and business partners that are in racing and different things like that. But it's kind of funny how both those industries parallel, you know. And then actually remember the time uh, Zach Brown and Ed Kowalczyk, like remember, like didn't you have something to do with that? Well, that I think that came from that same night at the, the hotel. So obviously Kenny met, met Ed and Zach Brown is a very good friend of, of, Kenny. of Kenny. So So those guys are... And our mates as well. So it's didn't Ed go to a Zach Brown concert or something? Or yeah, he got up. He got up and sung with him with Zach Brown band. Oh, did he really? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. YouTube, see, it's pretty good. Yeah, but it's it's kind of funny because like for me, be just for racing, you know. Again, even when people were like, "Oh, you know who that is with the live guys," and I'm like, "No, that's just my friend Chad." Like I really wasn't a, a big into music, you know. And uh, I'm like, "No, that's Chad. He owns the video." company and they, they do mo- movies and it's like and like you know so i kind of downplayed it just to mess with him but but yeah i did know he was a musician but when everyone was talking about zach brown i didn't really know the musician i'm thinking oh the guy that runs the f1 team mclaren you know and they're like no i was, I was zach like brown band i'm like zach brown play plays He's a, he does music is also racing you know because there is a zach brown with mclaren that races also a decent race car driver, but you know he runs McLaren as well. Obviously, you know that, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So oh, that's well, fun. We know we know both Zach Brown, so that's good. I think one of the best stories is is that um, Ed, Ed Kowalczyk just texted me too. So I don't know what he's talking about. Something about Spotify music or something. It's kind of funny. He just texted me right there, but. Uh, one of my best stories of you is a story that you weren't even around for. Like you were texting me. It was in, uh, I forget the 2018. We were at Lake Elsinore and you couldn't make the race. I don't know why you couldn't make the race. I was kind of pissed at you for not making the race. Cause in a way you're always like my security blanket. Like I, you calm me down, you know, and, and oh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, you do like my download. I get, you know, advice from you and you know, you, you, tow me around the track and show me the lines and say this is what you got to do and you look at my video and it's like stop you know hit the apex dude and um so i'm texting you i bring and you typically i don't bring my phone in the truck with me so we're waiting to go out and i had my phone in the truck with me and i'm just like texting you and you're giving me advice and you gave me the perfect advice and i took your advice and uh i won that race and it was my first ever sst win and uh Man, that was that was a fun time because and it was because of you. Like if you had not told me the strategy and it was funny, you were telling me the strategy that even the other drivers were gonna do. You're like, hey, that fuckwit, he's gonna do this. <laughs> we're not gonna name who you're talking about, but you're like, and that guy, he's gonna do this, and that cunt's gonna send it and crash. And like it's like did Paul know the race before it happened? And then like, and if you hold out and don't take the joker to the end. He's like, you'll win that, man. You'll win that, mate. And literally, 
We're with three laps to go. Matt Brabham takes his Joe or two four laps to go. Matt Brabham takes his, and I'm still like now I'm kind of mid pack, and then a yellow comes out, and I'm like, holy shit, I'm gonna win this. Like I'm the only <laughs> one, and I'm like licking my fingers. I'm like this is like taking candy from one a baby. By, by nearly a lap. I, I won by half a lap actually, thirty seconds. Yeah. And yeah. it was funny because typically I'm either mid pack or at that time or back of the pack. Even the flagger was like confused. Like they were looking at Robbie and everyone else and thought like I was a half a lap down. So they didn't even wave the checker flag at me. And I'm like, you're a half a lap in front. I, I was a half, a lap, half a lap behind. It was funny. I was going over the jump, the big jump. And I had my finger out the, the window, giving them the finger. <laughs> you know the like, funniest thing about that, Bill? What? They're all in de- they write the rules. We played by the rules and they're all in denial that you won. They're well, like, at that time, yeah, but they went back and watched the video, and yeah, they had we, to. Yeah, they had a. They're like, "No, so, you didn't." We're like, "Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah, we did." By a half a lap, they're like, "Oh shit, he did." <laughs> yeah, they all came to apologize to me and everything else. That was funny. They're like, "Shit, good. man!" And it was at a baseball stadium. Oh yeah, that was. Yeah, those are fun. We tried to get one here in York, and it just didn't work out at the time. And I think still any baseball stadium, those short track dirt races. I know we did one at the Valvoline uh, Raceway in uh, Parramatta, right? Yep, yep. And, uh, well, I got a podium there, too, because I listened to you and Smiley. Remember? You did, mate. Just run that thing in there. I think you said just floor it and don't lift. <laughs> and I just, I did it. And uh, actually, I held off Smiley to get the podium. He was right behind me. Yeah, that was and good. That was a good night, wasn't it? That was a really good night. And uh, that one, I saw the checker and I kept going. I didn't, I ignored it. I was just like, We've had some good team battles. Good team battles. Gold Coast, Gold Coast 600, we worked as a team. That was oh, yeah. Good. That was, uh, yeah. And, and uh, felt really good with that. And uh, you were second, I was third, and actually Matty Brabham, so he was uh, he was first, yeah. So you know the Brabham family. You were teammates with his dad, Jeff Brabham. Yeah. So how yeah, good well, is it to see someone like that? Like you see Jeff Brabham, he's a good guy, he's your teammate, and then you see his son, just like your son, following in the footsteps of the dad. And, and not because you and Jeff beat on your kids to do it, you just both – children just genuinely want to do it and they love it they have that passion yeah i think the well the brabham thing goes back now to three generations so oh yeah you're right it's 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 a massive name in australia like that's up there you know equivalent with an andretti like if you look if you look at jack he's the only person to design build and and drive his own formula one car and win the world championship like can you imagine someone doing that now these days it's just just an incredible thing to achieve. Yeah, that would be like Enzo Ferrari or uh, Henry Ford yeah. trying to do that, like actually being in the car. So Sir Jack Brabham, Sir Jack Brabham is the uh, grandfather of Matt Brabham and father of Jeff Brabham, and he's a, a three-time F1 world champion. But he also made his own car, the Brabham. And uh, they're actually trying to make that car again, but it, I don't think it has any – I think the family licensed the name, but somebody else is manufacturing yeah. it. So I saw it. I mean, it looked pretty, but I don't know the results on the track or anything. So hopefully it does it's Sir a, Jack and the family justice. Yeah, it's a track day car built here in Australia. And David Brabham, which is Jeff's brother, brother Matt's uncle, is, is behind that project. So oh, nice. it's a pretty cool car. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it seemed fast and it was cool. I saw it at Adelaide, 
and they let me sit in it. And then I saw some of the older ones that Sir Jack made and won in, you know, so. Some of the open wheel stuff. They're probably trying to sell you one, Bill. Yeah, probably. Not buying. Yeah. Anyway, what would you say is your favorite track in the whole world? Uh, I think I know the answer to this. No, my favorite track in the whole world is a track called Lakeside, which is is about an hour hour north of where I live. I grew up racing there. Yeah. It's got the highest average speed of any track in Australia. Which is? Uh, I don't know what it is, but it's higher than Bathurst. Oh, really? Yeah, it's it's a cool little track and, you know, won a lot of races there, had good success there and it's it's pretty cool. Took home a lot of trophies, huh? Yeah, it's just, just a track where, you know, if you hang your balls on the dash and have a go, it rewards you, you know? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Speaking of trophies, like when you're at Paul's house, there's trophies everywhere. Like in the living room and like the sun, like they're just everywhere. And he's like, "Wow, we got a lot of trophies." And then, and then I go to his office and I'm like, "Shit, there's a lot of trophies here." And then, and then, and you're you're in the lobby of his of the racetrack, and then he's got a place where he's at now, the bumper bar. I'm like, "There's a lot of trophies here." And then in the main lobby, they have the big trophy. That's the Peter Brock trophy, and that has a case unto itself. Like that is the Holy Grail. And then, and then you go up in his office, and there's trophies everywhere. And then I'm like, oh, Paul, I need to get a radio for my helmet for the race. He goes, come here. We go to another building away and where they have a, a whole, like, shop where they sell merchandise. And the thing is the biggest glass trophy case you'll ever see packed, 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 packed. Like, everywhere. Like, you've won a lot of damn races is, is basically the moral of that story. And, like, you don't know where to put all your trophies. No, I don't. I have to do something about it one day, but... <laughs> I think I think I'll I'll like Bill, I'll race anything anywhere anytime, you know, and that's I think that's the why there's so many, you know. If someone says to me, Can you come and race this weekend? I'm like, Yep, I'm there, you know. I'd just love to race where a lot of people these days just tend to stick to, to one discipline and specialise in it. But um, you know, I'm a bit like you. You like to ride, race different cars as well. Yeah, I'll do so I'll race on third, I'll race sprint cars, I'll you know, if there's a race on, I'm there. Yeah, and so speaking of that, so you were kind of retired. You you know, you won Bathurst. You won the, the biggest race there is in Australia. But obviously you've won – I mean, you, you've won – you're the only one to win all those races at Bathurst, the six-hour, the 12-hour, all that, the 1,000. So after you retired from that racing, what made you want to basically – and, and I know you you came aboard on what twenty sixteen right or twenty was it twenty sixteen uh, end of two fifteen for the stadium truck yeah so super cheap auto which is the uh, auto parts store main sponsor of the of the Bathurst one thousand race yeah they I was talking to them and I said oh we want to enter a truck in the stadium truck race can you drive it I'm like yeah no problem that's how. It, how it happened, and then uh, the first race was at the Gold Coast, my home race, and hadn't driven the truck before. And I think I put it on pole position and ended up winning the event. And I was like, "You did? Well, I got to get, I got to get me some more of this." And then the start of the first race season was like four or five months later in early 2016. I went and did the first race at Adelaide, the Adelaide 500. Yep. And that's when you said, 
why don't you come to America and you you helped me do that. So well, it was funny because Jeff Brabham was talking to me and Maddie Brabham, and Maddie knew of you, but never, I guess, met you. And we were like, "Who's that?" And and they're like, the first time they ever said it, it's like, "Oh, that's Paul Morris. Stay away from him." I was like, "What do you mean?" They're like, "Well, if you mess with him, he's going to know how to give it back to you, and you're not going to know what happened. Like, if if do not fuck with Paul Morris is basically what he was saying. Like, he was my teammate." And if you piss him off in a race or you do something nasty to him, like he will end your race and you're going to be wondering what happened. So I was like, well, that's the guy I want to know. And I walked right <laughs> up to you and I was like, I'm Bill Hines. How are you doing? And it was funny. And, and we became friends ever since because it's like, all right, well, if he had that much respect for you, that's the guy I wanted to know because it's like, and, and I've, and it's actually funny, the exact scenario, remember this? What Jeff Brabham was talking about happened in a race. It might have been – I don't – I think it's Detroit with you and EJ Vizo. And it might not oh, have been – Oh, I was in Townsville. Townsville. And yeah. EJ spun out and he was like, Paul wrecked me. And and everyone looked at the video footage. Like there's – and there's cameras everywhere in an SST race. You have a bumper cam, a roof cam, a, a tailbone, <laughs> like a, a – you know, backwards, forwards – there's cameras everywhere. And uh, EJ goes, he he wrecked me. And then everyone looked at the video and there's nothing that showed. They're like, he was even like six inches from you. And then they ask you and you said, only me and EJ Vizo know what happened in that race. <laughs> That's right. He knew what happened and I knew what happened. It never happened again, did it? And, and, and yeah, and nobody, but like, it's still inconclusive of what happened. And, and I guess nobody's going to admit to anything, but, uh, but it's funny. EJ comes up to him and goes, Bill, I know what the video looks like. I promise you, he wrecked me. Because <laughs> EJ, we were all sponsored on the same team. And uh, <laughs> and actually, yeah, you and him were teammates, right? I think we were in the back of a cab. You were in the front. Me and EJ were in the yeah. back. We were going to dinner or something. He was still whacking on about it. He was. And he's going, what happened? And I said, Bill. Two people know what happened, me and EJ, and let's just say that. Well, that. The cameras didn't even know. It's like when the cameras don't tell. Yeah. That was a funny story. That was a funny story. And then uh, other than that, I mean, guys, you got any questions for this? It's a motorsport legend from Australia. You know? Dan yeah. and Steven are here. I about to say, uh, motorsports is not my realm, so I don't have like educated questions to ask on that. Really, he, he's like, I'm he's, an audio guy. Sorry. <laughs> he likes Zach. He likes Zach Brown and those guys, right? My dad's a big fan. Oh, his dad's a big <laughs> fan. That's funny. What's happening what? over there at the moment, Bill? What's happening in York? Well, with the you know the COVID stuff, I mean, still. They don't know whether like it, it's like one thing. You, it's kind of like there. It's like they don't know whether they want to open. They don't know whether they want to close again. Trump getting COVID, you know, didn't help any. You know, and then you know he's riding around like a cowboy, saying it's okay. It's actually funny. The night he did that, I'm like, the next morning, I'm like, the stock market's gonna have a big day tomorrow, and it did, uh, because you know that's confidence. Like, oh look, this guy got COVID. He's he meets every shitty criteria there is. He's 74. His diet consists of Big Macs and Coca-Cola and French fries. So he's not the healthiest guy in the world. 
And three days later, he's out of the hospital from COVID. He didn't have to go on a ventilator. But then again, he's got 10 doctors. He's got the the best drugs in the world, like the, all the yep. drugs happening. And, and then, but then today he says, fuck it. I, I'm not negotiating anymore until after the election uh, for a stimulus package when, you know, that he, he's been, so basically all the gains he made from being healthy, we're trying to be like saying he, he fixed it, you know, he's healthy again, is that when he said he stopped negotiating, there's small and medium-sized businesses and people that are unemployed now that need this stimulus, that need this money to get back on their feet. And it, it basically plunged the stock market again today in the financial markets. And it's giving small and medium-sized business owners, restaurant owners, like, you know, you know, no hope that anything's going to change. So now you're saying, hey, they have to wait another two months, three months, four months. And, and even still, know. he's kind of leveraging it. Say, saying, can, say Stephen, what are you saying? He, he's even trying to leverage it of saying, we will have, we will talk about stimulus checks going out or st- a stimulus program after I get elected. Yeah. So he he's like, said, like, after I yeah. get elected. He's like waving like a stimulus check in your face, like, hey, vote for, if you don't vote for me, this is going to go yeah, away. Yeah. So it, it's kind of like he's kind of playing it. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's funny. I think, you know, at this point, the, you know, it's funny how a lot of people in Australia really follow American politics, but you guys got your yeah. own politics that are messed up as well too. Well, it doesn't matter what happens here; the bureaucrats run the country. I think you got the same problem there as well because nothing gets nothing seems to get done. No, but, but um, it's interesting to watch from from our point of view. You know, you you look at Trump, how crazy he is, but. But um, then you look at the other side, and they're just emotional wrecks that have no absolutely no logic as well. So I don't know how anything gets done over there. I agree. It doesn't. See, the one <laughs> yeah, thing I did want to talk to you done. about the the one thing I did want to talk to you about too is actually driver training, and I don't mean for race car drivers, because you're you're definitely a big proponent of you know teaching uh, people the, how to drive on on the roads as well. And a facility yeah, like, sure. and so in a facility like, like I took my oldest daughter, I took her to a Skip Barber teen defensive driving program. And man, I'll tell you right now, before she went there, she sucked as a driver. Maybe I failed as a parent of teaching her and, uh, or something, but she was really timid behind the wheel. And you, you have had some actually public posts, but on your social media, and even in the newspapers down there, really, you know, kind of going after how governments, and it's the same here in America, it could be, it could be any government. It could be the United States or Australia about, I really want you to touch on that. Like, you know, you have yeah, some it's a good famous one, like, phrases. Yeah. Yeah. Like road trauma statistically is probably way more, more chance of dying that than you have with COVID, right? Yeah. You look. It's just, and it's just become acceptable that people die in cars. It's just become an acceptable, you know, person gets eaten by a shark, it's on the news. It's the most tragic thing that's going to happen. 300 people die on the road each day and no one gives a shit. Um, but it's an interesting, like driving a car is probably the only discipline that any government thinks you don't need training for. They want to train you for everything else in your life except for driving a car. It's It just makes no common sense to me. But um, but you've got to start somewhere. You've got to 
you know, try and make a little bit of difference in, in, in your life. So we do have a, a pretty good driver education program here. And, you know, if would you get an aeroplane and jump in an aeroplane with someone that hasn't been trained in emergency procedures or an untrained pilot? You wouldn't think twice of it, but you jump in a car every day and don't think about the consequences. So, so, so you train... You, you train everyone from like a teenager looking to figure out how to drive their Honda Civic to people who yep. want to learn how to jump trucks 50 feet in the air. Yeah. Well, a, a car, and I say this a lot, Bill knows this one, but a car or a motorcycle or whatever is just a machine that responds to inputs. If you machine give it the right responds inputs, responds to inputs, it, it'll do what you want it to do. There's, there's no such thing as a as a bad road or, or a dangerous car, you know, it, it's like saying it's like a gun. The gun will only kill you if someone picks it up and points it at you and pulls the trigger. A car's only dangerous if the person operating it does the wrong thing. Um, until, you ha until you change people's mentality on this, so they keep making cars safer, they have airbags. Why have they got airbags? Because they don't want people to get hurt when they crash it. Well, wouldn't you, wouldn't you train the person not to crash it first? How, how is that not your priority? Then they have anti-lock braking, they have anti-skid control. Car. So what's happened over the years, if you, as old as I am or Bill, you remember looking at a set of skid marks and they'd hit a tree or, mm -hmm. uh, or a telephone pole or a fire hydrant or whatever. You could always tell how the accident happened because you'd see skid marks and they, the person had hit the very thing they're trying to avoid. Now, with a modern car, you have anti-lock braking, anti-skid control. You don't see any of the skid marks anymore. Always, all you see is a car on the side of the road or up a tree and go, Upside how down. did that happen? Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, how so, do you get over there? Yeah. How do you get over there? Because the accident, where you would have an accident 20 years ago at, say, 50 miles an hour, that accident's not going to occur now to 90 miles an hour. You know, yeah. the, the grip level is so high. So when it goes wrong, it's just this massive mess. Um, so the, the difference between teaching someone how to drive on the road with a modern car is completely a different curriculum now. And it's it's all about um, distractions, not being distracted in the car. And if you look where you're going and, and concentrate on what you're going to do, you're not going to crash. That's just that simple. And we're just not training people how to operate vehicles properly. Yeah, I noticed a huge difference. Like I said, night and day from she took the course and it was only eight hours. And I think obviously think about that. Like you're only getting a training for eight hours and, you know, you can be remarkably better. Now, again, I think they have to have 40 or 60 hours of training before they get their license to be on the road. But um, yeah, from who? Well, from some dude or from, girl. From anyone. No one is no one is qualified anyway. Yeah, about saying I think that varies state to state a little bit too. It does vary state yeah. to state. I yeah. I honestly purpose I I let's say, uh, in my opinion, I really think that you know, in, in my opinion, that somebody that's a, like in PA, you can get your driver's license at sixteen. I personally think that that's way too young, because if something goes wrong, then you really see like if they're in an accident or. If, if they hit an ice patch or if they hydroplane, you really then see the immaturity of the 16-year-old and they don't know how to react, you know? Just Yeah, but they don't know how to react because they don't have experience built. So training, yeah. 
Because yeah. the MPA, it's what, 16 you can get a permit and six months after that? 16 and a half, yeah. You're yeah, is when you can get your yeah. license. But if you if you move that up to 19, the same thing will happen. You've still got an inexperienced driver. So That's true, I guess. You just need to promote. It's, it's, it's like saying you can't st- – yeah, it's like saying, oh, you can't start school till you're 12 now. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, too, because you're talking about, like, you know, hydroplane and stuff like that and seeing the immaturity. But I feel like I've seen a lot of grown adult drivers hit those situations and also look oh, pretty helpless. Know. Yeah. Well, yeah, if you take a driver from, like, say, that never left Florida and yeah. you go visit somebody in PA and they get an ice storm. See, whereas a track like Paul's, they actually can simulate, even though it's Gold Coast, they don't get mm-hmm. snow there. But he has a track, and they wet it down, and they do a skid pad, so it simulates all of those conditions. It simulates, you know, hey, this is a brick wall you're coming at. Stop before it, you know. So they can put you in these these situations. Or I call them the oh shit moments. That you know, you know, you don't panic, and like he said, it's just the machine that responds to inputs. I remember. I, I was at a race one day and I was fucking up and he's like, I'm like, ah, oh, it's the truck. And he's like, Bill, it's not the truck. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, it's just the machine responding to inputs. It's the person inputting them that's fucked. <laughs> so, and I was like, all right. So you just told me I sucked. It's like, well, yeah, for this race you did. Oh, yeah. And to that point, like you take someone from Florida, light dusting of snow and they'll shit their pants. Oh, yeah. Take someone from like, I don't know, Boston or something like that and they'll driving two feet of snow without too much fear yeah you, you all see yep. you always see um like news headlines of like i think like west virginia or something will get like an inch of snow and they shut the whole state down yeah, <laughs> yeah. so paul how old's nash right now what's this 17 17 so nash never probably been on snow in his life if he came this winter and came to pennsylvania and we put him out in a car a rear wheel drive car even and i threw yeah. him out there and i said go nash in the snow he, it wouldn't even – he'd be drifting around every corner with the be- – like, he, it wouldn't even bother him. One hand like, drinking coffee in the other he hand. He probably – he the dude can drift. I mean, yeah. the little dude, the son. He, it, even though he's never been in that situation, mm-hmm. it's he's been in simulated situations to where the rear of his car has been broken loose. So it's the same thing. It's responding to inputs, and at that point, you have to be very smooth to that. So wouldn't you feel comfortable with Nash in the snow? Yeah, no problem. Yeah, just easy, right? Just a lack like of grip. Deal with it. Yeah. Exactly. So sorry if the story was said. So how old was he when he started driving? Uh, probably five. Okay. Nash? Five. You see, see, see over the wheel? Yeah. About to say, I have a five-year-old. I would not trust that I'm not racing. He wasn't racing at five. Right? No, Nash. he wasn't racing. Uh, no. But yeah. Yeah, any driving experience at that age, yeah. that's impressive. Well, it's kind of that's a wild west still in Australia back then. Yeah, it's not, it's not. That's not uncommon for Australia. Like, oh wow, out in the farm. You, soon, soon as you get off the main road and there's no one around, your dad normally goes, "Hey, do you want to drive?" Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Same thing. The dad will be like, "You want a beer?" <laughs> like <laughs> four year olds with a little sippy so, cup of beer. <laughs> just because I'm ignorant to it, what is the? I guess like so here at 16, you can get a permit in Pennsylvania, and then six months after that, you can go for your actual license. How does that work in Australia, or where you guys? It's 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 similar. It varies from state to state, but it's it's pretty similar. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Same thing like that. Yeah, it's it's set up like here, like different states and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But it's far. Like if you want to, you know, it's it's not an easy drive going from say Gold Coast to Perth. Okay. It's, uh... So yeah, do you see? Where you do, stop, you, do you see Australia opening it up so that any Australians can leave the country anytime soon? You, 
you can you got to get permission from the government to leave if you want to leave. Oh wow! So there are people that are that are leaving. The biggest problem we had was getting people back home. Oh, because of quarantine, still, right? Yeah, it's still a lot of Australians that are that are overseas and getting them back in the country and getting them quarantined. So, well, Scotty Scotty McLaughlin, he he's going to leave right for. Isn't he going to yep. do a race with IndyCar and uh, St. Uh, Saint Pete, Saint right? Pete. Yep, he'll be there. Yep. And, uh, he'll be there, and I reckon he'll be staying there. I don't think he'll be coming home. Oh, for uh, the start the next season? I reckon so, yeah. Yeah, he's going to be good. I think it, you called that one too. So. Yep. There's a rumor SST might race in that race too. So. Oh, really? Yeah, maybe you should get a special waiver. Yeah, trouble is when I got to come home, I got to quarantine for two months, two weeks. Two weeks, yeah. Oh, it's not like you uh, are slumming. And I don't, I don't like hotels as much as you do, Bill. Oh. You got to quarantine in a hotel. Oh, you can't go home. No, no, you get locked up. Get out of here, really? Yeah. Yep. Go to that Sheridan on the Gold Coast. That's really nice. They got some good birds there. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, at the moment, I can't leave my state. Well, they got it locked down. Yeah. Well, yeah. I thought only su- Southern Australia and per and uh, Western Australia were locked down. No, everyone's and opened Melbourne. up now, except the the state government in Queensland, which is a state I live in. There's the border shut between New South Wales and here. But there's an election coming up. She's trying Victoria, to save us. Victoria's closed too, or no? Melbourne opened. Yeah, up? they're shut down. They're still locked down. You can't even come out of your house down there. Yeah, there's like one hour a day to do something, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, so everyone thinks like America is bad, but in 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 Queensland, like now in Victoria, like Melbourne area, it's literally you're locked in your house. Like, don't come out. Yeah, what do they do if you I, come out though? Oh, uh, they shoot fine you. Yeah, they don't no, shoot you. They'll fine you. Give you a fine. Send you to jail. Like a Robbie Gordon type fine for hooning. Doing donuts it's five thousand dollars or something. It's quite a big fine. Oh, that, is, that is a big fine then. Wow. Yeah. So how what are the case numbers there that they're locking down? So there's twenty people. Yeah, I think there's twenty people or something now. It's like nothing. It's nothing. It's really nothing. <laughs> is that cases yeah. or deaths? Oh, I don't know what the deaths is. That's active cases, uh, right? I think I think deaths. We've had ninety or ninety deaths. Like it's just yeah. nothing. There's more people dying of bee stings. And, I say, uh, that's a stark contrast to like what we're facing here in the states right now. Yeah. Well, there's more people dying of even like car accidents, like you were saying, than that. Yeah. But see, Australia did it the right way. Like right when it happened, they like them in New Zealand, they reacted very quickly and shut it down. Like there are like nobody from China coming in, nobody from the states. Like they really did it the right way. They reacted the right way initially. But at this point, I think probably they just need to open up everything now, right? Yeah, they had a second wave down in Victoria, which shut everything down again. But it's it's a hard one to predict, Bill. You just yeah. it's a trade off between keeping people in jobs and keeping pe- people healthy. So that's true. The um, but everyone's having a good time. The base the government are basically paying you to do nothing at the moment, so no one's oh. complaining. So. Okay, so unlike in America, in America, the the politician, you know, they sent out a twelve hundred dollar payment to families that 
you know, had income under $75,000 a year and that was it. And no, so we got, this is how it worked. If if you were on welfare, you normally had, you normally got $300 a week. They bumped that up to 750 for everyone. Uh, If you got laid off from your job, they gave you the employer $750 a week. So you could go back to work. So they just they just looked after everyone, which we're so, all going to pay for later. But but yeah. It, so um, if, so if you owned a, if someone owned a business and they had ten employees, and yep. those employees made five hundred dollars a week, the government helped the company out so that they can continue to employ them. Yeah, they get a wage subsidy. So oh, I've wow. got so cool. I've got ten employees here. I was given $750 for every employee I had. I could make them work $750 worth of work or make them work their full hours and then top them up. Or if they were, like, I've got two apprentices here that only earn $300 a week. They're now on $750. They get the full amount. Wow. Yeah. So So, is it a one-time subsidy or do you get that per week for them? Every week. Oh, okay. So it wasn't like whereas in America they got twelve hundred dollars and that's it, and they never got. There's no, nothing no, else. It was a one-time no, payment every week. So the problem we got now is people people can't people are businesses are starting to get going again, and no one's applying for the jobs because they're all having a good time sitting at home getting paid. Oh, because at home they get seven fifty a week. Yep. So, sorry to interrupt here. I just pulled up some numbers just out of curiosity for, uh, this is Victoria, I guess. Um, Yeah. Victoria got hit bad, yeah. Well, I'm going to say, so it looks like their total active cases, they've had like 20,000 out of like 27,000 total in the country. So, it looks like it's very focused in that area. Yeah. That's it. Um, Yeah. But like, it's been 15 new cases in the last 24 hours. That's what he was saying about twenty new cases. Yeah, there's um, like there a second wave that came. Yeah, through it seems like there's right currently two hundred sixteen active cases, and nineteen thousand one hundred forty nine people have recovered. Uh, so I mean, compared to the states here, that's not bad. No, that's pretty. <laughs> I don't good. know what that is per capita though, versus like the ratio of people. Yeah, but yeah, I just well, want to pull Paul's, up some numbers. Paul's a race car about. driver and business owner. He's not a healthcare professional. <laughs> yeah, Australia's total cases is twenty seven thousand one hundred seventy four. That's nothing. And Victoria alone had twenty thousand two hundred thirty three. Oh, you see like, that picture behind him? The next him? closest one is New South Wales, which was four thousand two hundred forty six. That's the sun. <laughs> Bill, what's up? Yeah, that's his son Nash. How you doing? You're on the uh, Thrillcast. What? Yeah, you're on the this podcast. Dream come right true, now. mate. That's yeah. So what's it like uh, going from like two years ago, you know, just goofing around on i racing to uh, finally winning your first race? What's uh, that like? It's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Where do More you women where, like me now? Where do you keep your trophy? I didn't get a trophy for it. Why not? You had it. You won know. the race. They were on a budget. No, I'm gonna. I'll have to petition the uh, sanctioning body to. Yeah, uh, you should come run it, Bill. Yeah, no, I'm not gonna come run it. I gotta be let back into the the the, the country first, you know, <laughs> COVID and other issues. So yeah, have hey, you been good? Yeah, we've been good. So uh, this is the Nash Morris we were talking about. So the, <laughs> yeah, so were you upset? We were talking about how I tested the tire 
uh, barrier wall in my uh, car, yeah, in your car when when like three or four years ago. So were you upset uh -huh. when I crashed your BMW? If it was someone else, I would have been, but not Uncle Bill. Yeah, that's like a character mark on it, right? Yeah, exactly. That's funny. All righty. Well, get your right. dad back on. We're probably going to yeah. wrap this up and uh, let yeah. see that photo right there. That's Paul Morris and uh, right there, oh. Paul, move to the right. <laughs> there you go. And that's uh, uh, Chad Mostert, and uh, that's the when they won Bathurst, right? Yep. Where's the uh, the fire suit that you were uh, burned in? Oh, that's, it's on the wall over there. Oh, over there, yeah. Yeah, Paul was in a pretty bad uh, accident. There's the bumper bar. Look at that. There's a sprint car. So, where's the uh, where's the world gym thrill? You got to put that up. Suit. Yeah, we need to put that up. I gave it to you. The gorilla suit. The gorilla suit from World Gym when I'm sponsored down in Australia. Where is that, Nash? We need to get. Yeah. Got no room on the wall. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, thanks for coming on the Thrillcast. I don't have anything else unless you do, unless there's something to topic. But if you are in Australia, I would say a couple things you got to do in Australia. One, you got to go to – if you're a teen driver or even an older driver and you, you just want to get better behind the wheel on the road, Norwell Motorplex definitely is a place to go. Um, you can get trained by legends like Paul Morris, but they have, you know, a lot of people that can train you there. Robbo the Whisperer. Uh, you got Brody Kostecki. You got, uh, the, you know, uh, who Brock. some Brock Feeney. You know, some yeah. really, really good guys there. The Flash, the Flash, the Flash is now Flash, coaching too. Flash is coaching now. And, uh, yeah, I mean, if you're a race car driver or karting and you want to make that transition from go-karting to race car driver, um, then they got this new series that's called the Aussie Tin Tops. And, uh, like I said earlier, um, that's really – uh, I, I've been impressed. I can't wait to come down there and race in that series. Uh, I think uh, I think um, I'll be basically probably first couple races complaining to you that the car's not doing what I want, and then you'll be giving me the it's just a machine responding to inputs. That's and the it. other thing people got to do when they go down there is go to Ciramay Winery. I like to say I don't drink wine, but if I did, I would drink Ciramay. Just kidding. Right. That's that's what you say. That's what I say. I don't. So they got a very nice uh, winery and would you call it a vineyard? I guess I don't know. I don't know that terminology since I don't drink alcohol. But it's a beautiful area. They got the a uh, lot of musicians go there. So it's called the uh, what, Day on the Green. Day on the Green, mate. Yep, big concert series. So hopefully we get cracking again here and we can have some more of that happening. Yeah, I think live is going to come back and do a full tour there in Australia. Not necessarily the if Dan let Green, <laughs> if they let them in in 2021. So I don't know if that's still going on or postponed, but I'm sure, you know, we'll have other. We had Chad Gracie oh. on, the drummer of live, but we'll probably we need have the more. vaccine, mate. Whatever they gave Trump, we need to hand out to everyone. Yeah, I mean, Trump was back. Trump was riding around a day and a half. Yeah. That Finally, redness. we could all afford that same treatment. <laughs> Yeah, but see, there's people out there like Chad Gracie. Like, he will not take a vaccine. He does not want any type of drugs in him. He's like not doing it. He rather he rather get it and then get the immunity that way than yep. take a vaccine. So, what side are you on? Would you take the vaccine? Hell yeah, I would. Do you take the flu shot when you need it? Yep. Oh, yep. Nice. What about I've you seen, guys? 
Yeah, I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> I probably will, but I don't think I'm going to be one of the first adopters, especially if they're rushing this through with the FDA. <laughs> yeah. I may let some other people do it first and wait patiently. So you would take it right away like Trump? Yeah. Guinea pig, right? Going to die of something. Might as well be a vaccine shot. <laughs> that's fucking that's Paul Boris. I do oh. wonder with him because they pumped him full of steroids, and oh like steroids God. can definitely make you feel better, yeah. better than you are. So I'm kind of wondering if we're gonna see yeah. a crash. In the he's next he's few like, days yeah, here. he's like, I oh, best I felt in 20 years because he's on steroids. It's like that dice. I, I can't pronounce drugs. it, but it's like, it's generally something reserved for the most severe cases. But yeah. him also being the president, they may have just been like, here, take it. Who knows? So what? What's the prediction, Bill? For what? In the election. Oh, I think. So here's the thing with that. Uh, and again, I'm not going to say who I'm voting for or not voting for, but um, we'll leave that for another episode. But uh, I think a, just like what happened in 2016, I'm just saying Trump supporters, they're not, they they don't tell people they're a Trump supporter because. It's the, the silent majority. It, it's because they they they're afraid of getting bashed okay yeah um but you know then again same thing as like a biden supporter that happens to be around trump supporters same thing happens to them they get bashed so i think in this day and age where it's like 10 20 years ago or whatever you could proudly say who you're voting for and not get too much shit for it but because today yeah. is like everyone's feelings are getting hurt people are being more reserved but i mean at the end of the day take covid out of the way Elections are typically won by, you know, uh, let's just say the big money. Yeah, and it's hard to beat an incumbent. And it's hard to beat an incumbent. And they, to to beat him, they would need like I think if Biden w w basically ran right on the heels of being vice president to Obama, he had a much better chance of beating him. He would have had a better chance of beating him than Hillary did, as I think even. Um, Bernie did, but the for some reason the Republican part, the Democratic Party didn't want those candidates. Yeah, we're so not really, sure about that either. Yeah, so I <laughs> think I really think that uh, Trump is going to win, and I think it's going to be bigger than he even beat Hillary. And again, I'm not saying that because I support him or don't support him. I'm just saying the factors are big banks, big oil, uh, the stock market, people's like if. You, whether you hate him or not, if you have a 401k plan, like in your in Australia, I forget what you guys call it down there, but the remuneration or whatever the superannuation, superannuation, yeah, that's your 401k plan. That's some people's are up 40 percent even after COVID. It's like it went down in March, it crashed, but it it's the stock market. Everything's back up to the pre-COVID highs. So let's just say you're a person that has, you know, you've been saving all your life, you're in your 60s or 70s, and you have, you know, I don't know, half a million dollars in your account. Well, in the past, since Trump's been president, now that's up another 40, 50%. And now you're at like 700,000 or whatever. Like, it's it's that, like, that people aren't going to be like, well, I don't want, let me see what another four years does for this, you know? Yeah. So... So I really like strategically. I think he's going to win. I mean, that's probably going to be a very unpopular um, pick. But again, it's not necessarily who I'm voting for. I'm just I'm just saying from looking at all the facts. Like, how many times has an incumbent lost? It's rare. It's rare. 
I do think this is going to be an interesting one, though, because like 2016, I feel like there was strong support from Trump's base for him, mm-hmm. but Hillary didn't really have that. Yeah, There's yeah. a lot of people that are like maybe would have preferred Hillary, but they just didn't really give a shit about her, so they didn't go vote for her. Yeah. And this time around, I think we have more people who are less complacent than the last time around yeah. who may go out. I, I, it's, I think it's a toss-up more than it was I back then. So. I, I think so, too, because it was... But it is hard it was, to be. In a I think you guys are delusional on that one. I, well, I really don't. I think, think it was like the allure of the drain the swamp. Let's get, try something new. And now, like, there's a lot of people that were are like, I don't know if that worked out. I don't as know, well. man. Money, money talks, bullshit walks, type of thing. Depends on the people are investing in the stock market. What do you too, think, though? dude? Well, I think um, no matter who's in charge, most people's lives aren't going to change anyway. Probably pretty accurate. I actually always said that. I said it doesn't for the everyday average person. I mean, it's the whoever the president is doesn't so like matter. Like the president's not the reason you're unemployed. The president's not the reason that you're you know uh, you know had a break. Not directly, but like you know, like the Supreme Court is something that really does affect that, which is picked and nominated by the president. So like directly, yes. But you know, like gay marriage being legal right now had to do with Supreme Court picks and things yeah. like that. That impacted a lot of people yeah. in a very significant way. And while, again, that wasn't a direct thing from the president, that was due to nominations and picks by previous presidents. Yeah. So, like, it, it does matter, uh, but yeah. It's not going to matter. Whether the wall gets, gets built or not, it's not going to bother anyone. <laughs> the wall? You're still on the wall. <laughs> well, they haven't finished it. Yeah. I don't think they started it, did they? They've done some stuff, but it's yeah. kind of yeah, just- an enigma. Just get it done, mate. Give someone a job. Oh. I mean, we need we need uh we need what Australia has, just a big moat. Like you, you got the perfect wall. Yeah, just flow <laughs> off our yeah. big ass ocean. Well, like Canada and- the problem we have in we have in Australia is there's no there's no cheap labor to do anything. Oh, it's so like actually it's funny like, you say that. So I, would, it, I wouldn't be kicking them all out because who's gonna mow your fucking lawns? Yeah. But what uh, seriously watch. So I went when I first went to Australia, uh, shit, whatever year it was, a long time ago, and I, I like tipped the waiter, and the waiter was like, "You don't need to tip me. I make a real wage." And I'm like, "What the <laughs> fuck's he?" T-? And literally, like the dudes, like Bill, they make like thirty dollars an hour. I'm like, "What?" <laughs> it's true, right? Don't they make like twenty five, thirty dollars an hour, like wage, like? It, in Australia, it, to be a server, a waiter, or yeah. waitress, that's a professional job, and yeah. they take it very seriously. I feel like that's how it is in most countries. Now, but here's it's the thing, though. that we fuck them over. In Australia, they don't fucking care. Meaning, like, like if you get your meal, they like, and you want another drink, some of the way, they're like gone because they don't need a tip because they're, they're making uh, they, twenty five thirty an hour. So, like, where the yeah. fuck does the waitress at or waiter? Whereas in America, they get two bucks an hour, so they got to work for the tips. It's, I was going to say, what's, like, I guess you're equivalent to a minimum wage there? I don't think. Uh, it'd be uh, 20, $22 an hour or something. Well, yeah, for a trade, right? What's the exchange right? rate on that for an Aussie dollar versus 20, 25%? Yeah, like 18. Your what? Yeah, less. So, like, 18 American, you're saying? 15, 18, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. That's for, like, little, like, a entry level. Yeah. Yeah, like you're starting at that. Like, like I said, a server. A, a bar now if you're like a chef it's the wages really good okay yeah they don't they don't i mean you could tip but they really don't they don't need them they're like mm-hmm. eh, you don't have to tip there yep 
anyway, I just hate driving uh-huh. on the other side of the road. <laughs> Fucking hate it. I Uber everywhere in Australia. Paul knows that. He does. Yeah. He's like, drive your car. I was like, mm. anyway, well, thanks for coming on and uh, right, we'll do it again when I have a co-host. I'm sure she would ask you many questions and stuff like that. But, yeah, uh, no worries, man. Yeah, she couldn't be here, unfortunately. And uh, But the show must go on, as they say. Yep. It's kind of like if we were in an endurance race and uh, you were coming in the pit and they said, where's Bill? And you're like, oh, well, he's taking a crap. And just keep going. So get fuel keep and go. Trucking. Keep on trucking. Well, give my regards to everyone and uh, have a good day. Be good. Hey, thanks for tuning into this podcast. You know, it's a, it's a thing that uh, I wanted to do for a while. At first, I actually didn't want to do it for a while. But then a couple of people wanted me to do a reality show. A couple of people wanted me to do, you know, a different podcast. But they always, they wanted to take creative control. They want to tell me what to say. And, you know, that's not going to happen with Bill Hines. So, you know, I want you guys to basically come back to me. Tell me what you want to hear. Tell me what, you know, if you have questions or if you want me to give you any advice, certain real estate topics, certain business topics. And, uh, you know, I'm more than happy to do that. And uh, it's free. But, uh, you know, if something blows up, don't sue me if it's the wrong advice. So disclaimer. Yeah, anything you want to hear, if it's for racing, if it's any other sports, you know, open to all those questions. Yeah, so just come back to us. Let us know what type of uh, things you want to hear and talk about. And uh, we make a list and, you know, every week we can, you know, give you what you want to hear. And that's what we're here for. We're here for people that want to listen. And uh, all right, guys, that's a wrap on this show. And, uh, you know, just want to thank everyone for tuning in. As I like to say, be good. Boom.